0: Be able to hear me now. I'd probably make him in the back turn that way up, and then when he gets it all turned up, then he has to turn it back down. You can turn it back down a little bit. I like got this echo, echo, echo. Doesn't sound right. I'd rather not have this thing, but for your sake, I have it. Judges chapter 1, not Judges, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Give me a man. So this sermon, I think, is for men. It's also for the ladies as well, because you're praying for the men. But this is a sermon especially for men right now. And um, we haven't got a lot of them here, but we've got some of them here. We've been praying about men lately, and I want to take a few minutes in this sermon to highlight the importance that God has for men, in case we've missed it, but also so that we would also step up to what God has for us. So just let me start with prayer. Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. I want to thank you that throughout this week that I've been feeling my heart tugged and motivated and moved by these passages of Scripture, feeling like that you're calling for a man and even men, Lord. And so I want to pray that this will inspire the men of this church. I pray that it will inspire men that may not be in this church, but still get an opportunity to hear this message somewhere else. Father, there is a need, Lord, and you have recognized that need, and you put that need in our hearts to know that there is a need for men to rise up. There's a warfare and a battle that only men can fight. That, Lord, there is no other that can fight that battle. And so, Lord, you have given that headship to men, Lord. And whether they're living it or not, whether they're walking in it or not, I don't know. But I do know this, that they're the only ones called to do it. And, Lord, there's other battles that are meant for the ladies. There's battles that are meant for the church as a corporate body, men and women. But there are certain battles that are only meant for men. And I just pray that you'll highlight and bring to revelation these things to us. And that, Lord, that everybody in this church will have a heart for this word this morning. There's a connection here. And I pray that we will pray till your will is done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we can start in verse one. And many of you are familiar with this story. I'm sorry, did I say John chapter 17 verse 1? Um John, sorry, 1st Samuel. Boy, you wonder where the wonder where I'm at this morning. Praise the Lord for that. Just get a few laughs out of it. That's what it's all about, I guess. So 1st Samuel, 1st Samuel chapter 17 where somebody's there at least might have you guys be reading the scripture for me. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get Caleb. To do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now the Philistines had gathered, and many of you are familiar with this story. This is the story of David and Goliath. If you've been to Sunday school, you've heard this story a thousand times. And there's probably a lot of the things that I would reiterate would be something that you've heard before, but I caught some things in these passages that I had not caught before. So if this sermon is for anybody, it's for me. But I know that there's you guys that are sitting there feeling the same way too. So I don't want to read through the whole story. I want to make the assumption that most of you are familiar with it, but I am going to highlight certain passages throughout. So the verses. 4 and 7 will be, 4 through 7 will be those ones that I'm going to highlight, but I'm going to start with verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together in Shoko, which belongs to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Ezekah. And I'm not going to pronounce all these ones, but anyway, go to verse 2. And Saul, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched in the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had graves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass upon his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. I imagine he had somebody bearing a shield before him because with all the other weight that he had, he probably couldn't manage to carry the shield. I have no idea. But what we do know is this, is tremendous in size. So somewhere around nine feet tall, if I understand uh, the cubit right. The cubit is 18 inches. And so he's about nine feet tall. And that's average, your, your your ceiling, not here, but in your homes, most of them are about eight feet tall. So it's another foot beyond your ceiling in your house. He's a giant of a man. 5,000 shekels, if, if my resources were right, that's about 125 pounds. He's just wearing just a chain of mail. And then his uh, his spear, I think it was, is uh, 25 pounds. So here he's got all of this weight. And what you're looking at is Goliath who's come with physical stature. He's huge. All of us kind of got that from Sunday school. I'm more than sure of that. We got from the fact that Goliath was quite a sight to see. But Goliath represents something to us. And I want to remember that in our lives, we're going to have Goliaths. And this is for men and women altogether. But Goliath represents what cannot be conquered in natural strength. You're looking at a man who's so big that all men ever looking at him from a natural point says this is unconquerable. You read further in this story, it says he was a champion. The idea is this, is that nobody's defeated him and nobody dares try to defeat him. So he begins to present, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but he presents a challenge to Israel at the time. And the challenge was, give me a man. Give me one man. And I wondered when he made that challenge, this thought had come to my mind. I think this is the challenge that we face, that we face with hell today. Is that hell believes there isn't a man available. I believe that Goliath looked over the armies of Israel and he had this sense. There's not one man among them who has the courage, who has the faith, who has the strength to face me. And so I think that when you get a challenge like that, and today we we face it, when we get a challenge like, give me a man, it's because hell doesn't believe that there is a man to meet that challenge that there is the forces of darkness, there's spiritual warfare right now, that there is a sense that there's not a man that walks close enough to God to face this spiritual battle. There just isn't one. When you get this challenge, when the church today, when, not as our congregation, but the church worldwide, gets this challenge it's because principalities and powers have looked over what they see and they don't feel like there's a man available. I think that because this is the, the challenge was not for a fight. The challenge was not to direct men, drag men off of the battlefield, dead, bloody and wounded, and conquered. They wanted to conquer them so that they could enslave them. And as I prayed about this and I thought about it, I wonder, is is this where we're at today? Where there's a desire to enslave the church, and enslave the Christian world, because there's not men that are stepping up to the call of God in their life? There's not men that are walking close enough to God that they understand the signs of the times and understand the darkness of the day? Now, I'm not going to say that there's not a man out there but I'm just going to say that they're becoming farther and fewer apart because we're concerned about the world around us. Jesus had said this. He said, do not let the cares of this life choke the word of God that you become unfruitful. It becomes where you sow the word on wayside ground. And this isn't just the preacher preaching to the congregation. This means that when Jesus is making a, A call to men that this Bible collects the dust in their homes. And besides the fact that they've studied it, do they know the God of Scripture or they just know how to discern between from one doctrine to the next? David wasn't your typical man. So let's look in verse 15. We're going to go just a little bit further here. Something that Goliath had done that I want you to pay attention to. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. And the Philistine drew morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. 40 days. The tactic here is to drain hope. Not to, start a, not to start a battle, but to drain the hope. And I think that we're sitting in a day and an age where we're wondering, what's going to happen with the way the world is going, with the way things are turning? What's going to happen? And so I know this, when, you, when, when this challenge had come, there was something also notable about the way that they had responded that they were in fear. Let me see if I can find it here. So Goliath had challenged them and said um, that he had defied Israel. I want you to remember that. That he said, I defy Israel. And then when um, you later see that the, the men of Israel say to Joseph, not to Joseph, but to David, that they had defied David as well. When you see that they had defied, they say Israel. But when David steps on the scene, he said, you defy the army of the living God. Look in verse 23. And as he talked to them, behold, they came up a champion of the Philistines of Gath. So this was David talking to them. And Goliath, by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spoke according to the same words. And David heard them. Notice it said, David heard them. And what I want to highlight here is this, is that when you walk close enough to God, men, when you walk close enough to God, you hear things differently. It doesn't sound the same to you. And that's why David responds differently. He's not concerned about how this is going to affect the church of his day. He's not concerned about Israel. He's concerned about something on a far greater level but he hears differently. And I want to say that about men that are listening to God. Men that are walking in the Spirit. Jesus, Roman says it. He said that we are the children of God because we are led by the Spirit of God. There is a difference. And when you don't have these kind of men, every other man sits in Saul's army. These are men that said they were greatly afraid and dismayed. The moment they saw this man rise to the scene, there was no hope in their ranks because they weren't following God. And this is important because when you look at what David did, there wasn't anything that matched with a natural way of doing things. David gets the armor. Saul takes him out and he takes him and puts armor on him. And David says, this doesn't work. And this sword doesn't work. And he says, I can't use these things. This is natural to battle. This is what every normal being or normal thought would be. Is This is the natural mind. Why isn't he taking the natural things to battle? And David defied. David defied everything that seems natural. Because he walked with God. I love his testimony. When he shares his testimony with Saul, (laughs) he said, let no man's heart fail him. I, your servant, will go and fight Goliath. And then he shares the testimony about how he, he he killed a lion and a bear with his own bare hands. And to him, this giant didn't look any different. So there's something about men in this. There's something about the battle that comes into the heart of a man because we begin to get the sense that this isn't this isn't about love anymore. This isn't a message about love. I don't know if you realize that. I mean, love is invested in it. Love is a part of it because the love of God helps us live out the will of God in our life. And David was wrapped up in the love of God. But when it came facing Goliath, David... Saw something different. So I like, I put this question mark down. David, when he was listening, what is the Spirit saying? What is the Spirit saying here? Let's go to verse 10. So I'm going to bounce you back and forth through these verses, but these are all significant. Verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight. So here we see that uh, Goliath had made the challenge. And then I want you to go to verse 24. And the men of Israel, when they saw the, the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you not seen this man that has come up surely to defy Israel? Is he come up? It shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him. Notice he says surely to defy Israel. The whole mindset in the natural is all about Israel. This is what makes David different. This is what makes his heart different. And I like this message because it lines up with what I was sharing last week. There's a difference from the humanism that says I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about my husband. I'm concerned about my wife. I'm concerned about the church around me. I'm concerned about the atmosphere of things. And there's a change from that mindset to Lord, we only want to see You glorified. And there's something about what's happening today. There's something about the way Christians are responding to things today that gives me the impression that we're not listening to God. And we're not following in the direction that the Holy Spirit is leading. And our problem being is we're concerned about a nation and about the political problems that are going to start causing laws About abortion and laws over the political agendas and laws and all that. And I say, let it come. If the church of Jesus Christ does not want the glory of God more than we want to see a political blessing over the nation, we're missing the whole mark. You hear, you read the story of Elijah. And when he prayed, he prayed for. A famine. He prayed for a drought. Why would a man of God put people in such a state? Why would a man of God put people in such a state as to pray for a famine that would take lives and destroy homes and children and all of that? I'll tell you why. Because in the Scripture it says he was jealous for the reputation of God. I want... As weird as it sounds, I want ministries to stop running off of the flesh. I want ministries that can focus on doing it off of raw talent. I want him to die. I want the reason why is because we don't need talent. We need people who are sincere about their love relationship to Jesus Christ and what it means to obey Him in a day like today. The other thing that you're going to see here is David is one of many. Meaning that out of all the armies, all the older brothers, all the men that Saul had that were trained for war, not one of them was equipped equipped to face the battle. Not one of them could do it. So ladies, as you're praying for men, pray for them not to cower. To the feelings and the scenarios around them. Pray for them to be men of might with God. Pray not for your homes, not for leaders in the church, but pray for men who know God, who know Him. Lord, I don't give a care what happens through this man's life, but I do care about this. This man serves you and knows you and loves you. Men, as we go forward, realize this is God's concern. There's hard things we're going to deal with, and the most important thing is, God, get the glory out of this. Verse 26. Listen to David's reply. And David spoke to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Now he saw what was happening to Israel, and I'm going to get back to that. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is what I want to say. I believe today men that are filled with the Spirit of God can look at the church differently than what they see on the external. And you need to to hear me on this because everything that David... His first warfare was with this. I was telling my wife this earlier this week. His warfare was not with Goliath. His warfare was with Israel. All the men that were lined up to be army men. And I think our first warfare sometimes begins in the church. There's a lot of people who don't know and they struggle with. The biggest warfare sometimes is the people in our own homes. They're Christian people, but they're struck with fear. There's this sense of, this is bigger than us. This is something we can't do in our own strength. And David, his first struggle was with the unbelief. And his brothers, listen to what his brothers say. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, verse 27, so shall it be done to the man that kills him. And Eliab, his elder brother, heard when he spoke unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why do you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart. For you are come down that you might see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? See, Eliab is speaking out of the fear that he's looking at the giant and he sees... He doesn't see God in this picture. He doesn't walk close enough with God to see what David is seeing and what David is noticing. So he he looks at the boldness and the faith of a man who knows God and he sees it as a frustration. And he doesn't want to deal with it. And he doesn't like it. And he thinks it's pride. And I wonder how many people confuse the difference between faith and pride. How many people are locked up and not knowing the difference between faith and pride? And David's looking at this, and I believe with a broken heart. He's like, how is this possible? How is it possible that the armies of God, the one who created and gave life to you, he's the one who chose you? And how can you people be so caught up in fear and dismayed over this giant? Do you not know that God who's wanting to give you his testimony, wants to deliver you, wants to show himself mighty on behalf of those who love him and trust him. Do you not know how much he wants to encourage you and show himself through this scenario? And David's looking at the responses that he's getting and wondering, how is this possible? Any one of you men should be trained spiritually to defeat this giant and you're not ready. You don't know what to do in this situation. It's like you never got down on your knees and prayed and let the Lord deal with you. And get humility into your heart. So you're lost. And I can't believe that the whole that this army cannot see the reality in front of them. And David's reality was God's reality. That's what I love about faith. Because faith isn't making it something that it's not. Faith is just it being what it really is. In light of what everybody else can't see. So David's seeing this. And he's his first warfare. And listen to me. Listen to me. David's not broken. He's not we navigated He's not changing his course because of unbelieving people. Unbelieving saints. He's going exactly where the fight is to go. Remember, we already went through this. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds and taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And it says, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against spiritual wickedness in high places. So David says, you are not my enemy. Now, I think this is key because men of God are not going to get lost in the divisions of the church today because we're fighting for the church of today. That's the difference. We're fighting for the church of today. So everything that David's hearing, he's not taking it personally. What he's going to do is is he's going to take this fight to where it goes. And it doesn't belong in the pews. It doesn't belong in this congregation. It never will. And we're watching churches still fall apart today because there's always. I just went through a course of dealing with resolution of church conflict. If you want to have a course that's gonna make you want to run as far from the pastoral life, that's it right there. That's it right there. I don't want to be a part of whoa, wait a second. I should have made that my first course, not my last course or one of my last ones. So the reality is this. It's, there's conflict because we quit focusing on the battle. Listen to me, there's going to be things that are going to happen with one another. Things said, maybe even doctrinal conflicts. That's not where the problem is. Praise God. Go to verse 28. Oh, we did go to verse 28. They're getting confused with names here. Fear, anger, division. You see, fear, you see all these as a combination here. Eliab is divided against his brother, and his brother is the only one that actually has the faith here. Verse 32. Something I missed in the last sermon that I gave to you, but I'm going to give it to you in this one. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him because of him. Your servant will go and fight for the Philistine. I don't want you to miss this. Notice David's response. It has a combination of two very important. It's the combination of faith mixed with a heart for God's glory. It's not just faith. This is why I think a lot of people are missing it today, and I have. I'm just going to be the first one to speak out and raise my hand. There's things that I've asked God to do that were more about me not having to deal with the wounds. Lord, please let this person be changed, let them have a different attitude. Let me have a better relationship with him because I don't want the wounds and I don't want the struggle. And that's not about the glory of God. That's about Jesus. How many of you in this audience can say you've felt that, experienced that, known that? I don't need your hands because I know every one of you would raise them. The reality is we've all been there. But what makes David's uh, which this story is so powerful and makes it a sure testimony for the glory of God is isn't just that he had a heart for God but he had it mixed with faith. And he had the combination of these two things that makes Christianity Christianity. And what makes for a testimony every time. I want to say this. I believe every time God will be there. Because when you're, you want to see the glory of God, you have only one concern. There's only one concern that matters. And that is, what is the will of God? Because once I've answered that, then as long as my heart is hungry to see God glorified and I have absolute faith, that the only the only outcome here is for the, for his praise, then it's going to go forward. God's going to get the glory out of it. So if I bored anybody yet, if I can get any hands here for boredom, because I'll just I can quit the sermon at this point. Do you guys like what you're hearing? Is it beneficial? I'm hearing for an amen. amen. Just get in the middle of this. I want to hear for an amen. Praise the Lord. Verse thirty three. like Saul here. Saul said to David, so after all that David did, you know, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. Isn't this a message not just to men, but this is a message to young people. I love this. And he a man of war from his youth. He's trained. You're untrained. You have no experience. You do not know what you're doing. You are not Abel. You understand? He still hasn't made it to Goliath yet. He still hasn't faced this giant yet. He's still facing all the unbelief in front of him. All the other people who do not see it the way God sees it. But I'm still in love with David because David is not dying to his purpose. He's not getting lost with the warfare that happens within the body, so to speak. He's like, let this happen because I know where I'm going with this. Now in verse 34 through verse 37. This speaks of God's truth combined with faithful testimony. Let's, Let's go ahead and read in verse 34. And David said to Saul, your servant kept your father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by... This is the King James Version. I'm taking out the these and those as much as I could for you guys. Uh, And he, He caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. And your servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Seeing that he has defied. Seeing that he has defied, not Israel. He has defied the army of the living God. And David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and under the paw of the bear, he shall deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Finally, he got through the warfare. He finally got the opportunity to do it. He just needed a man to finally see enough. And Saul wasn't probably any more faithful. But there's something about a faithful testimony of godly men that have been through the battles, who've walked with God through the scenarios of life, and they have something to share that I believe even unbelieving people are going to say, "I that raises my eyebrows, sounds pretty good to me, and they're going to go with it. God's truth combined with faithful testimony. David had both of these when he spoke, and that's what gave him the ability to be able to get Saul out of the picture of problems here. And he had testimony. I wonder, you know, just at some point, think about this. I don't know if he faced the lion and the bear at the same time. I don't know if he did it individually at different times. It doesn't really make that very clear here. And I'm not trying to make it clear. But I will say this is, I don't know of a man alive that would face a lion barehanded. And you might say, I don't know if I believe that that story is true. Well, then you have to, You have to decide, well, if you don't believe that one's true, you might as well put the rest of them out too. Because the whole Bible is either it's true or it's false. It can't be halfway. It's not reliable halfway. But I want you to get a picture of David had a zeal because God had given it into him. And I wonder where men are today. If we have that zeal to face and be just as bold and just as courageous and just as mighty through God, Anyway, so let's go to so verse 38. You see here in Saul, Saul armed David with armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head and he armed him with a coat of mail. As I said before, there's a worldly-mindedness to Saul's way of thinking. He just doesn't discern. He doesn't have a sense of the way God wants things to be done. And so in verse 39 through verse 40, and David girded his sword upon his uh, And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them away from him. There is going to be times, and I know it's going to be this way in ministry. It's going to be this time in things in your life where the temptation is to do things the worldly way, to do things the way, the logical way, to do the things the way that man would do them. And God is saying, I'm not going to let that work. You cannot do it. It's not only that you have to have a heart for me, but you cannot do things opposite or in a way that looks good because it fits the esteem of others. You have to do it my way. And why does God do that? Why does God take the army of Gideon and reduce such a huge number of people and get them down to 300? I think you know the answer, don't you? The reason why God takes all the the esteem and he just takes, blows all the air out of your balloon is because he wants you to know that when it's all said and done, the only testimony that's going to come out of this is God did it. And, David, and, and God said that with Gideon. He said, I did this because you guys would boast. You guys thought it was your own power. You just had big enough army. You thought that you were strong enough to do it. I'm going to take all of that away because the only thing left is, and as the scripture says, he will share his glory with no one, with no one. So David had to move beyond the fear-bound church, or what I would call the fear-bound church, Is anything close to it as we'd have, into the real battle with principalities and powers. And then, of course, we know that scripture is in Ephesians. Now in verse 45. And then said David to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's like, he's all about this, isn't he? And this day will the Lord deliver you into my hand. And I will smite you. And I will take your head from off of you. And I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. This is the focus here. And I love what he says in verse 47, and all this assembly shall know, all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. You understand the difference here. The difference is this is not about Israel. This is not about just my brothers and sisters. This is about the need for God to show Himself. So He's going to take the battle out of our hands and show Himself. Why, why else in the world can Peter preach his sermon after Pentecost? And that sermon reached 3,000 souls in a moment, in an instant. Because as I said last week, the glory of God was wrapped up in it. And when we as, as a church get that focus, Lord, this isn't about me. And this isn't about what I want to see. I want you guys today... I want you to think about this. What is one thing in your life that you've desperately wanted to see so badly and you want God to do? You want God to do. What is that one thing that you got your heart tied into? And ask yourself this question, was my heart mostly tied to this because of what it would be for me? What I would get out of it? And you'd say, no, it's about the glory of God. Is it? is it And this is a sobering thought. And there's many times I come to the Lord in prayer and I say, "God, I don't know. I know I'd like it. I know I want it for me, and I want it as a blessing to me. But is I am I really Is it really about you? Is it really about you? And the harder it is, I'm going to say this, the harder it is, the harder it is to make that distinction. The more personal, the more difficult the situation, the more impossible it is, the harder it is to answer that question. Is it more about me, or is it more about Him? And that's why so many of us need to spend some long hours with God to get down to the business of finding out which one that really is. Because on the surface, intellectually, we're there, aren't we? Intellectually, we know we want God's glory. But spiritually, at heart, deep within us, not so sure about that. Not so sure. So the last part of this, I'm going to come to the close. I haven't seen anybody fall asleep, so so far, really good. Really good. The lessons learned in verses 1 through 45. I stopped you short of victory here, because I want you to think about this through the week. Godly men do not get lost in the fears and worldly logic of other Christians, nor are they dividing themselves from them. I'm not dividing myself with you. I'm not interested in having quarrels between brothers and sisters because what's important to me is God. And I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for you. And I know you're fighting for me. If we are fighting the right enemy, the end result will be unity, not division. Hallelujah. The end result will be unity, not division. Godly men are concerned far more about the reputation of God than anything else. See, that's that's the thing is, is that when we lose that focus, it's easy to have quarrels with one another. It's easy to have problems. We're going to have them over and over again because it doesn't matter to us what God gets out of it. It matters what we get out of it. And when you're stuck on that row, it seems like an endless battle to try and stop the division and the disunity even wherever you're at, the reality is this. When we realize that we're not fighting flesh and blood, we're fighting against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places, that has a check in both of us. Because the Holy Spirit does a humbling process to purify your heart. Because as you understand when you're praying, you're praying the will of God. And so this is all in his spectrum. Hallelujah. Hallelujah just want to reiterate that one point one more time. If we are fighting the right enemy, the end result will be unity, not division. Hallelujah. Well, what I want to do here is I want to pray, but I want to invite you to pray. I want you to invite you to pray because this service is as long as you want to be here, to be honest. And I want you to pray for God to raise up David. I want you to pray for the men of your life, whether they're grandfathers, their husbands, their sons, their preachers, their ministers of some sort. I want you to be able to pray for the men in your life and the men you know and men I want to pray for ourselves, that God would raise us up to be these men the men who see the way David saw, the men who sense the things the way David sensed them. And for those of you who are going home, that's fine. I just want to give you an, an invitation to pray. And uh, those who want to fellowship, fellowship. Like, this is that time. God's got a lot for us in this time. So I just, this doesn't have to end after I'm done with the sermon. <laughs> just give you that, that opportunity. Wasn't sure if people knew that yeah. yet. So um, praise you, Lord, for what you're doing, God. This is that time for us to be able to take this sermon and make it real, Lord. And we want to charge everything, Lord. We want to just make a defiance against hell right now because we know that, Lord, there's already subtleties at work in this body, whether we realize it or not, to create points of division and fear that's not your plan or your, your plan at all, Lord. And so, Jesus, I just want to pray against that in the name of Jesus. I stand against every lie that is sought to divide our hearts, to give us the hint that there's one person in this place that doesn't love anybody else or love the rest of the people in this house. And they wouldn't give to the their very best. Teach one, Lord. God, whatever may have been communicated that we didn't intend, Lord, or somebody just misunderstood it or perception's gone the wrong way, whatever that is, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask you for complete and perfect unity here. Jesus, you said the world will know that you are mine by the love you have, one for another. So Jesus, I ask you, in this place, glorify your name by giving us humble love for one another. Gospel love. Agape love for one another. Love that does not quit. Love that does not die. Love that does not give up. Lord, I pray for men who, Lord, have the mentality here that no man is left behind this battlefield. We will carry every man off of it, alive and living for Jesus. Lord, we want no home divided. Jesus, there's many homes, husbands and wives and children, Lord, right now. And God, in the name of Jesus... We pray for every one of those homes to be restored in unity and oneness of mind and heart with one another in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it, God, because we know, Lord, these are the things that glorify you. We know this is the reason why you died and bled, was not just to make happy homes, but homes that are unified with a love to praise you and to honor you together. And so, God, thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for the wonderful testimonies that we've already heard this morning. That God, you're already doing a way of mending us and bringing us together so that your work can be done. And I believe that's the only way. How good and how perfect it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the ointment that ran down upon Aaron's head and down upon his beard and down upon the skirts of his garments. And it is there the Lord commanded his blessing. With unity, you command your blessing. So Jesus, right now, Lord, help us examine ourselves and see where in our lives we have failed in this one point and bring you back into our main focus. And I love you, Lord, as you mature us in this way. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Free to pray, brothers and sisters. Free to pray.